Happiness runs in a circular motion. Thought is like a little boat upon the sea. Hello Everybody and welcome to Campfires and Color Wars, anyway, a podcast about summer camps and the stories we love to tell about. Like the time we used to watch the kitchen staff like a hawk for when they'd put out a new box of Fruit Loops and then turn into Lord of the Rings as we tried to get that sugary goodness instead of crap Wheaties. I'm Mike Hart. And for the next 45 minutes or so, we're going to press pause in the world around us and transport back to the days of our adolescence, when the school year was just one long rest hour between days at camp. If you have a camp memory you'd like to have featured at the top of the show, you can always email us your short stories at summercamppod at gmail.com. And if you want to take the time to do that, why not give us a rating, give us a review on iTunes so we can continue to reach as many former campers as we can. Uh, apologies for being a day late uh, on getting this episode out. Uh, I had planned to have it uh, on yesterday, but I was traveling to LA. Slightly shameless plug. Uh, I did a really fun uh, in-person show of Who Knows One uh, at the Milky Way restaurant in LA uh, last night, which was super fun. And I actually tried recording the intro for this uh, just for my phone. And man, I popped some peas. Good lord. I was like, all right, I'm just going to wait till I get home and do this properly with the microphone and a, and a screen. A uh, little, little behind-the-scenes uh, podcast action there for you. Anyway, um, yeah, it was a really fun show last night, and I'm looking forward to getting out and doing more of them. We've got some other dates coming up uh, in Washington, D.C., in Cincinnati, in New Orleans, New York City, Connecticut... We're getting out and about, uh, so that's been a lot of fun, and I'll just say I would also love to do some live campfires and color wars, um, so I'm going to see about how we can make that happen as well, because uh, it's fun to talk about camp. Speaking of talking about camp, uh, this was a really fun episode with uh, Brendan Gallagher, who is a writer and director. Uh, I came across an article he wrote uh, for Complex uh, a couple years back, uh, ranking the fictional summer camps. And, you know, I'm, that's, I'm the target audience for that. So <laughs> I thought it'd be fun to have him on uh, and talk about his camp experience. And uh, we had a good time. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to him. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. My conversation about summer camp with Brendan Gallagher. I feel like uh, I've had a little bit of a camp in uh, pop culture theme running over the last last few episodes of this podcast, um, and so uh, it feels uh, feels like a good uh, good time as any to uh, to keep that going. Uh, I'm happy to be joined by uh, Brendan Gallagher, who uh, I came across. Uh, Brendan, I- I'm saying that like third person. I-, I came across you. Let's say that uh, <laughs> I came I came across you. Uh, you wrote an article for complex magazine about uh, a definitive ranking of the 15 best uh, or, or I guess that's one question I have is, is it the 15 best or you just, that's how many you found and then you ranked the 15 of them. Well, I'm going to let you in on a trade secret. I mean, number one, uh, yes, it's really however many you find. And then number two, a lot of times it's not necessarily like what you think is the best, but would sort of drive, you know, traffic. 
I, I feel like <laughs> the, the listicle era has kind of come to an end. I wrote that article a few years back, but it keeps popping up sometimes because Complex will reuse it. Uh, no extra royalty for me, of course. Uh -huh. uh, but, um, you know, I, I think that there just was a time on the internet when people really just wanted to see lists of things, you know, and this was one of those things. But I don't know that, for example, I was looking back over it today to prepare for this, and I think I have Wet Hot American Summer number one. And I'll be honest, like, I don't personally connect with that as much as some other people do. But I think at the time, my editor knew that was sort of like in the zeitgeist. It might have been around the time that the reboot came out. Sure. So uh, a lot of times, you know, when we say something is the number one, it may be what we think people will want to see is the number one, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, you've just crushed my spirit, uh, which is a great place to start this podcast. Um, yeah. So just to back up for half a second. So you wrote a piece, uh, the uh, definitive ranking of, uh, of the 15 best summer camps, fictional summer camps. And uh, I guess spoiling it a little bit, uh, the number one that you had was Camp Firewood from What Had American Summer, which you know, I read it naively thinking like, yeah, you had a very rigorous uh, set of criteria. Methodology. You, <laughs> right. You poured over, you know, each of these for, I assumed months um, before you, you know, published your, your findings. Um, and I was like, yeah, no, I probably would have also said uh, what had American summer number one, but that's because that movie does speak to me. So I think the place I have to start with is, why does that movie not speak to you? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, it's not that I don't think it's great. You know, I, I appreciate it as a classics, but it sort of has kind of like an absurdist, almost like detached, ironic, uh, beyond realism thing, you know, like the Stella guys and David Wayne, like really into that. And I think that kind of gave birth to like what Tim Heidecker is doing now. And I think all that stuff is really awesome. But, you know, in my career now I'm, I'm a tv drama writer and i think i gravitate you know as far as coming of age stuff is concerned i look at like a freaks and geeks or a gilmore girls or to the case of the list uh i was reminiscing on how good the show huge was though it was sort of prematurely canceled it's not really something that is like a hall of fame memory but like that and heavyweights which is also on there i remember really connecting with because the characters are real people Whereas What Hot American Summer is funny, but the, the characters intentionally are sort of a commentary on ideas about how we remember camp and nostalgia and type, uh, which I think is really like interesting, but I always felt a little distance from it personally. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Uh, you're right. That movie is a complete satirization of, you know, what the stereotypical summer camp experiences. And frankly, even what the summer camp experience is in the movies. I mean, I think about uh, the speech um, that uh, Michael Showalter's character, who I'm blanking on his name, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lash myself later for not remembering. Um, but uh, when he sort of gives the speech before the rival camp comes, and then they're all like, yeah, we probably don't want to do that. I mean, that is such a, like a nod to Bill Murray's speech in Meatballs. Um, yes. And absolutely uh, coop. There we go. Coop. That was uh that was his character. Um, so yeah, no, I, I can, uh, I can totally, uh, understand that point of view. So let's, let's back up. Let's talk about your camp experience. Cause my assumption is if you've written an article about fictional summer camps, you're drawing from some personal experience, 
Um, where, what was your summer camp experience? Where did you go for how long? Tell us that. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, um, I did have the more traditional summer camp experience, like through Boy Scouts and things like that. But the camp I want to talk about was actually a theater camp that was in my hometown. It's basically every summer, every summer at the local Methodist church, they would do a musical theater production. You'd be in it, you'd spend, you know, your nights and your weekends there. And uh, then you put the show on at the end of the year. And so it wasn't this, like, I did the sleep in a tent and like learn leatherworking thing, but this theater camp, uh, I started when I was in seventh grade and I did it through, you know, maybe the first summer after college before I was like, I got to make money next year, you know, and it just so happens. It's so funny that you happen to reach out to me. The minister, music minister who ran this is retiring this year. So people are like coming back to my hometown for his like Mr. Holland's opus version of Jesus Christ Superstar he's going to do to send off uh, the camp. So you know, I thought it'd be a great time to kind of reflect on that uh, experience. That's so cool. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about what that actual camp experience was like. Was it overnight? Were you there? Uh, like, how long was the session? How long was the time from the start to the to the finished production? So, you know, I think like a lot of great camps, the design is to keep kids busy throughout the summer, you know, and so it w you wouldn't sleep over there, but you would go for rehearsals most nights and then all afternoon on the weekends, particularly on Sunday, and they would do their best to try to get you to also come to church and do like a small group community building. And then there'd be periodic like we're going to go look at the fireworks and sing and pray tonight kind of thing. So you got a lot of the camp. Uh, downtime elements too. Like one thing I remember vividly was like between shows playing foosball for like five hours or like playing poker or whatever. So you had all that stuff too, you know, so that there wasn't the sleepover component, but it definitely had that like a bunch of boys and girls shoved into a church basement, hormones raging. Uh, <laughs> and then also that like forced morality, forced Christian component. And I think it's so funny to, to the point of what Hot American Summer gets this really well too, where like the leadership wants to like create this moral framework for you, but it's like a bunch of 15 and 16 year olds like being left to their own devices together. Oh, I thought you were going to say that the, the people in charge want to create this moral framework for the campers, but then when the campers go to bed, it's like that framework doesn't exist. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so so day camp, but uh, but an intense amount of time. And how long did you have uh, to like? How long was the the summer camp? Was it the whole summer? Was it a week? Was it? Yeah, you would you would do an audition in you know like Memorial Day, maybe last week of school. Cast list goes out right when school's over, and then the show goes up beginning of August, and then you know the cast party is like mid to late August, right before school comes back in. So okay. it was sort of like the, you know, you could take a week or two off for your family vacation or whatever, but you're spending a lot of time there. That's awesome. And I think what's really cool about it is that there's like a common goal that everyone is working towards. And so it's like a, it is camp, but it's also like real team building because, you know, there's, there's this, you know, you have a date, there's a thing that's happening on a date and everyone has to, you know, put in time and effort to get it to there, no matter what your role is. If you're the 
lead, if you're, you know, set design, if you're whatever. Um, and, you know, I always enjoyed the pieces of camp that were, you know, that were, I mean, not just that, but uh, it's, that's why like being in a cabin is fun and playing cabin athletics against the, against the other cabins, because you're a team, you have to come together. You're only as strong as your weakest link, et cetera, et cetera. What were, uh, what were some of your favorite uh, productions that you did? Well, that's a great question. I would say, you know, the, the highlight of it for me, I was the lead in Fiddler on the Roof and I played uh, Tevia, which is very funny because in my town, there were no Jewish people. So we had to bring <laughs> a rabbi in from the city, which is like York, Pennsylvania. It's like a little city about 30 minutes north of where I grew up, a small town. So he came down to kind of educate us on Judaism, even though like we had no clue, you know, watch the movie, learn about stuff, you know, and clearly this rabbi was used to going around to all the Gentile schools in the county because really, you know, especially explain, at the church. But even, I like to think he was there just to explain Fiddler. He was going yeah. around to all the county <laughs> for the explicit purpose just of explaining Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> it's it's hilarious even to think about, you know, and it, the funny thing of it is um, at a public school, you have only so many musicals that you can do. And at a church, that's an even smaller number because you're not going to do anything with that touches on abortion or gay marriage or any of the things that, you know, actually you encounter in real life. So, right. you know, for example, I was in Joseph and the Mason Technicolor Dreamcoat when I was in eighth grade, and then I directed it for them after college, you know, so it's like they rotate the same 12 or 15 musicals over and over forever. That's so funny. All right, let's talk about Fiddler because uh, listeners of the podcast know uh, the, so one of the, I, I went to two summer camps growing up and one of them, the oldest unit would put on a play as like their big sort of capstone project. It was actually called project um, every summer. So it's a four week session. And, you know, most of that four weeks you were working towards putting this play on. And my year that I was in the oldest unit uh, that I was there for the full uh, four weeks, we did Fiddler on the Roof and I was also Tevya. So <laughs> I, I can relate to this very well. So well, I, I am. Yeah, <laughs> there you go, it's a life. Um, so what? tell me about your experience playing Tevya. Well, I mean, it's a funny thing. So, you know, I was, pro I ended up going to college for uh, theater, film and writing. And I was, you know, to say I was the best actor in my hometown would be like, you're the best basketball player among like five foot uh, people, you know? But I was like so invested in the thespian society. I was so invested in any acting opportunity, uh, but I was not the strongest singer. And, you know, the director, music minister, like let that be known really early on. He's like, I'm gonna give you discounted voice lessons. And I think he saw he, in the long view for him, he's like, okay, when Brennan's a senior, we gotta do Fiddler because you can be off key once in a while as Tevia, because Tupple's off oh, key good. a bunch in the movie. <laughs> and uh, additionally, you know, my range, you could, I have a fairly deep voice. And so, you know, any of the tenor parts were out of my range. So really he was like, I didn't say he did it for me, but he had been wanting to put it on. He's like, oh, this is a good year for it because our leading guy doesn't really have the chops to do, you know, Music Man or any of the more vocal, let alone Lay Miz, God, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, there are a lot of fine singers, you know, around my year. So like, for example, the kids that did like Model the Tailor and the other suitors, 
they had these beautiful tenor voices. They were all state level. You know, one literally was number one in the state and then he went on to be an opera singer. So that oh, sort wow. of voice. So I think they just saw like the casting was was perfect. And I had a blast doing it. I mean, I love musicals and, uh, you know, the only thing that stopped me from doing them after that was like a lack of singing and dancing talent, you know, and I still uh, just absolutely love them. I was on a musicals podcast the other week talking about all that jazz just because I I think they're great, you know, so I had a great time. And, uh, you know, it's definitely one of those great high school experiences that you always look back on forever, you know. And what, what, if anything, do you remember about what the rabbi came and, and said about Fiddler? You know, a lot of it was sort of mechanical. And by that, I mean, like, here's what the prayer shawls are for. Don't, don't hold the Torah like this. Don't embarrass me, you know, <laughs> but there was also, I, it was one of the earliest times, you know, I, I, my parents are atheists and I only went to this church to do the acting thing, but then I got kind of sucked in my town. Everybody was Christian. So I ended up getting baptized when I was 18. By the time I was 20, I was an atheist again, you know, but I think <laughs> I remember very vividly the rabbi just sort of talking about the Jewish approach to life and like what it means if you don't actually have a heaven and hell in the same way and the way you relate to each other and the more the focus on kind of human decency in the here and now. You know, and I would I would I wouldn't go as far as to say like, oh, I'm more Jewish than Christian, but it gave me sort of a philosophical framework that was something different than it was a Methodist church, but Methodist churches in small towns skew towards the evangelical tradition. Mm -hmm. And that's a very fire and brimstone. Right. Uh, you're going to hell if you have sex before you're married. Gay marriage is wrong. And they're the like light version of that. They're like the George W. Bush, not the you know, Sarah Palin, but it still was sometimes a little heavy. So it was cool. And I still vividly remember how cool it was to get a different perspective. That's so fascinating. Um, and, uh, you know, as someone who is Jewish, I, I would say that, yeah, a lot of that is what I appreciate about Judaism uh, is the, the decency and the, you know, let's, let's live for today. And, you know, that's what we know we have, but that can be for a different podcast. Um, so that's, so that sounds so cool. I also wanted to hear a little bit about your boy scout experience. Cause I have had, um, some boy scouts, uh, in the past, uh, on, on this podcast. And I always love to hear about that experience a little bit too. It, does anything stand out for you, um, from that experience? You know, I, I'm conflicted whenever I talk about this now, because obviously the boy scouts have been disgraced, you know, in the public eye. And I, I hate to say it, but I had a wonderful experience in Boy Scouts. You know, I, uh, I, I really vividly remember my scoutmaster, Lanny Stoner, who was uh, just a very gregarious guy. And he was very blue. And he would always say stuff like he would like, look, I was like in seventh grade, he'd look at girls out the window and go, I remember, Brendan, when you're married, you can look at the menu, just can't order anything. You know, and those sort of like moments were very valuable, but also, you know, I, you know, learned to, and part of being in the country in the Boy Scouts, you get like the hyper level of like, they'll take you out in the snow and have you like put a tent up. They'll t let you, you know, it, it, use an ax or whatever. And so um, when I got with my now wife, like I was going, I'm out here in LA, I would go to national parks all the time just by myself because I have those tools. And I guess I didn't realize how remarkable it was. And then like one of our first dates, 
we're out in Big Sur, like our first weekends away. And I'm like making a fire, setting the tent up, you know, doing everything. She's like, wow. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess I did like have a lot of really great skills that I learned. And, you know, every Boy Scout will tell you this. I regret not getting my Eagle Scout because right around like freshman year of high school, I made the decision that like girls wouldn't think it was cool that I was in the Boy Scouts and I chose the theater and not the theater was that cool, but theater was where I was going to be going. And I was like, I can't do two nerdy things. And so I kind of let it go. But uh, I really didn't recognize how valuable all of that would be, you know, for the rest of my life. And I still, you know, next to me in my study here, I've got like two backpacking tents, thermal uh, sleeping bags, I'm ready to go, you know, and I think that really, I, that there's no way that that would be a part of my life. I wouldn't be like a national park pass holder if it wasn't for Boy Scouts. That's so interesting. And I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to edit this clip and send it to my dad because he was an Eagle Scout and I like to give him shit about it because for the exact reasons that you mentioned, I'm like, yep, super cool, Macy. You were an Eagle Scout. I bet everybody <laughs> thought that was cool. And he did it like in the, you know, in the fifties when I think it right. still probably was re not necessarily cool, but perhaps not frowned upon by your, your, uh, you know, your, your peers. Whereas, uh, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties and I feel like, yeah, we, we thought those people were, were like, all right, you're, you've taken this a little too far. Um, but, but at the same time, I totally hear you. One of the things that, uh, I think a lot of people have had this experience over the pandemic. We have, my family has for sure reconnected with nature and done a lot of hiking uh, and a little camping and have really, really, for the first time, honestly, in my life, appreciated the, the chemical nature of the, you know, feeling connected to, to nature and, and feeling good being in nature. And I absolutely can hear what you're saying. And I'm like, man, I feel like I've been looking at this all wrong. And maybe we should put our kids in Boy Scouts. Because uh, I would love for them to have those kinds of tools. Because I definitely don't. Um, and I never did Boy Scouts or anything like that. And so I would be, you know, useless. Am useless uh, in, uh, in the wilderness. Um, I mean, I can hike, I'm a good hiker, but in terms of setting up tents and fires and stuff like, no, I'm, um, you don't want to be with me in the apocalypse. Um, but my kids are young enough. Maybe, maybe we could still, uh, turn them onto that a little bit. Um, so your interest in theater, did that come from participating in this camp or you already were interested in it and this just fed it? I, I think the latter, but you know, and, and you'll know this now, I think, as a father, like when a kid is remembering when an interest happened, they're honestly relying a lot on anecdotal evidence because you don't really remember that vividly until like kind of cornerstone moments. And my parents swear that I was six years old and I cut out an ad for like an acting lesson and said I wanted to take acting class. Uh, but I don't really remember that, you know, but I do remember that I was taking acting classes prior to this. And uh, we actually had a real life music man experience where the guy that ran it fled under cover of night with everyone's money after a year or two. But you know, and, and I, it, it, at first I felt like, man, I'm such a unique experience. And then I hear like, actually lots of acting teachers do that because it's really hard to keep acting schools afloat anywhere, but like a big city, you know? Um, and then I was obviously doing, you know, like middle school plays and things like that. But I started with, I, 
I had said to you seventh grade, but now that I think of it, it was sixth grade, I started doing this. So it was definitely a big part of it. And I think it really taught me that this could be a career. And, you know, in my hometown, it would be like, the guy that did the set painting also designed the logo for Pepperidge Farm or like, you know, the guy that did the carpentry for it did carpentry up in the city or whatever. It wasn't like I met great actors, but I think that plus the, the church attracted the best acting students from a few schools around and they were interested in it and be like, have you seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, man? No. Have you seen... Uh, this Will Ferrell sketch, no, and you started to like think about it being something that I could do, and from there, a couple of us started a sketch comedy group within the church, and writing, and shooting things, and uh, doing live performance, and so I do think that it, it didn't necessarily spark it, but it certainly fanned the flames, and I think, I remember very vividly, you know, a lot of people who go into the business that I'm in, when they tell their parents, there's this moment of shock and disappointment. And because I had done so much in my hometown, it was more of a, um, well, yeah, no shit. Of course, that's what you're going to do. Just, you know, make sure you learn a skill of some kind, which I neglected to do. Uh, But, uh, you know, so I, I, and, and then on top of that, you know, a couple of the people that I did the theater with back then, you know, one, like I said, one of them is an opera singer in New York and a couple of them, you know, are in, you know, one's doing theater in Branson, one's doing theater off Broadway and, you know, nobody, I didn't go to school with, uh, you know, any like Lindsay Lohan or anything like that, or, you know, uh, Timothy Chalamet or whatever, but, you know, people in it made that a career. And I think because we were all interested together, it made us look beyond the typical jobs in my hometown, which are like hairdresser, lawn maintenance, fireman, uh, you know, car salesman. Yeah, it, it is. And it's interesting to hear you say that because that was certainly my experience of summer camp, uh, that it did open your eyes to other things um, outside of just the hometown experience. And we used to remark on that, that like a lot of my kids, a lot of my friends in high school, I went, I grew up in Mississippi, like a lot of them went to Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Southern Miss, et cetera. And all my camp friends were going to like large public universities all across, uh, you know, and private schools, um, you know, all across the country. And I, I do think there is something to that of, you know, being around different people and having other experiences. Out of curiosity, because um, we've talked a lot about sort of the, the- theatrical aspect of it, but Tell me a little bit about like the friendships, Uh, you know, was this your ride or die crew that you were doing this with every year? And what was your relationship to them versus your, the kids you were in high school with? Um, Absolutely. And I would say, you know, like a third of the kids were from my high school, a third from the neighboring high school and a third from just like wherever in the County. And, you know, I'm going to be the best man in the wedding of one of the guys you know this year and he I I, this is one story I promised myself I would tell so he's getting married to one of the girls who is in now women who is in it uh with us and she lived the one town in this direction 20 miles he lived in the other direction 20 miles but her dad was my dentist so his dental office was right around the corner from the church so when they went to hook up they snuck into the dentist's office and hooked up in the (laughs) dentist chair And I was like, that is something that should be in a teen coming of age movie, you know? And so I got to work that into my best man speech somehow 
uh, with good taste, you know, uh, in a few months here. Um, you know, another one of the guys, you know, a few of us ended up going to University of Pittsburgh together where I went and trying our hand at theater film. And of that group, I'm the only one still kind of doing it. But to your point about kind of opening up horizons, like, you know, one went to grad school and studied philosophy and one went to the army and did a lot of interesting things that maybe they wouldn't have done had they not, you know, had that first experience. But yeah, those were my friends, you know, my best friends from high school did it for the most part. And then I had these other friends who, and, you know, girls that I would meet that I would see them all summer and we would, you know, all this great stuff would be going on in terms of friendship. And then you'd not see them for eight months. And then you're a totally different person the next year when you come back. So I would definitely say that was like the foundational like group of people from my high school. And I would, you know, probably I would say almost a dozen of them I still keep in touch with, which is more than probably the people I keep in touch with consistently, even from my undergrad. Were there any people that you had like almost like a Greece scenario with where like your relationship at camp was one way, but then you got back because, you know, you some of these people you went to school with. But then once you were back in school, you were part of different crowds. Was that was there any of that experience? It wasn't the Greece like male on male macho thing. It was that like some and this is true, I think, in all theater. A lot of girls who do theater in high school are at a popularity level above the boys doing theater with them. So the, your boyfriend material in the summer and then the football players come back in high school and you're like, oh, yeah, like we made out in her pool two months ago. And now, like, I might as well be dead, you sure. know, but, <laughs> you know, that just comes with the territory. And I think I, it didn't make me that embittered, I think, because I knew that was kind of the deal. And I was like, well. It was good to have the summer. Yeah. And there's no competition. Uh, Summer loving had me a blast. What were you going to say? (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's too funny. Um, All right. Well, let's move on to uh, our Campfires and Color Wars questionnaire. uh, Title still pending. Uh, This is a chance to share some uh, other camp stories uh, that you may have. Uh, So our first question, number one, tell us about your most romantic camp experience. So this is a great question. And I think I'm going to answer it more broadly because I like, I didn't like, I wasn't like my buddy. I didn't like fall in love, you know, but what was great about church that is so funny is that churches obviously like are supposed to be these moral places, but there's a ton of like closets and little rooms and Sunday school rooms or whatever. They're huge buildings. And so like everybody was always hooking up, you know? So it's like, Oh, you kiss a girl in like the the Sunday school room. Oh, you sneak in the the organ robe room, or or you know whatever. And so it was just such a funny, uh, very like horny teenage environment. And I I've always wanted to do some kind of pilot or movie about it because I think it's so hilarious. Like I remember one year when like Mary and Joseph were hooking up, you know, at Christmas, <laughs> and they would like make out and then come out for the manger scene, and then we would always have like a cast party with a swimming pool at someone's house out in the country and it just was like I like I said I don't remember like a a clear moment of like wow I found true love but just like what a funny hormone infused environment where like at rehearsal it's all this like hormonal tension and then we have to go to like a small group they would always have an older couple who'd been together for like 30 years give you kind of the talk but in the talk they did that Christian thing where it's like and you know, like sex is better if it's with 
the same person for 40 years, you know? And uh, that was always so gross and so funny uh, to do. So I guess it's not exactly romantic, but romance adjacent. Sure. <laughs> um, all right, number two, tell us, uh, this would be a good one. Tell us about your best camp performance. You know, I, I do think uh, Fiddler on the Roof was probably my best camp performance, but I think what I'll share is some of the earlier ones where you have all this energy is like, oh, I'm an eighth grader and they think I'm good enough to be on stage. And so in Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat, I played Jacob, who uh, is in both of our holy books. You know, he's like 100 years old. And so I had a big white beard. They would push me out in like a wash tub because they did it like Joseph's brothers or rednecks out in the desert. And I was in like red long johns and I did like a Jimmy Stewart accent, even though I barely knew who Jimmy Stewart was. And even though obviously Tevye was probably the most accomplished, I would say Jacob, I remember the most vividly. Okay, very cool. Yeah, when I was Tevye, I, I've said, I've told this story many times, but uh, when I was Tevye, I was entering ninth grade and my voice had not changed yet. So I just think it was hilarious that I'm supposed to play this gruff Russian Jew. And I'm like, on the one hand, and on the other hand, um, I like to think now that you, you've sort of, I'm wondering what the casting process was like if they had a similar discussion about me. They're like, well, this kid can't really sing, but Tavia, that's an okay, we're okay with that. <laughs> um, all right, number three, tell us about your most embarrassing camp moment. Well, you know, I, I, I thought about this one too, because, you know, the interesting thing I think about doing the arts and what's nice is like, the embarrassing things aren't that embarrassing because everyone's kind of a nerdy theater kid. So I was actually going to talk about the thing we just talked about earlier, that Greece summer love and aspect. And I think the embarrassing thing was that moment when you realize like, oh, these girls like are not interested anymore. And I acted like I had, you know, the relationship we had. It's like, oh, that was contingent on uh, being somewhere else, you know? And I, I'm sure if I thought like long and hard about it, I could find some, you know, embarrassing facts you know oh is in my underwear or whatever but like I said it's such an accepting the theater I think is so accepting and I think it is a place where so many teenagers find like they can make mistakes because none of that shit even like still is in my mind as a trauma whereas so much shit from high school is still in my head about like oh the you still have the dream about you know almost peeing your pants in algebra class or whatever like 20 years later because high school is not that sort of welcoming environment. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, and again, that's you know one of the reasons why I, I think we hold uh, summer camp in such high regard in our minds is that it was a really welcoming environment, uh, and it was a chance for you to try things and succeed and fail, um, but to do it in a in a in a safe place. Um, and uh, and I imagine that's even more so in a performance, you know, specifically a performance environment because. You, you know, you really do have to put yourself out there if you're performing. Um, so that, that's totally cool. Um, all right, number four. And I, I'm curious what your answer is here because this may not have applied to you, but uh, top or bottom bunk? <laughs> well, you know, I had a good answer on this one too because I was thinking about uh, being from the country, a couple of my friends who were in uh, this theater thing, you know, they lived out like way beyond the golf course, way in the middle of nowhere. And one of them 
was like the cool mom and we could drink there at, from when I was like 15 and nobody cared. And it was the, one of the real privileges of growing up in the country. And so uh, when, you, when you asked where I slept, I just remembered like being in my buddy Chris's basement and just passing out next to the pool table or like in the kitchen or outside or wherever, you know. And uh, I, certainly I'm not a proponent of underage drinking, but I had a lot of fun underage drinking <laughs> you know there, there's there's something to be said for learning lessons uh that prepare you for later in life um and uh i know too many people myself probably included who uh who didn't do a lot of underage drinking and did not uh do as well in college uh because of that as they might have uh because they would have sort of grown into it as opposed to it just being thrust uh in their faces <laughs> no i was well prepared i, I went through rigorous <laughs> rigorous training yeah it was really wise of you uh, at the time um all right number five what's your favorite joke you learned at camp you know i thought about this one too because i there's probably so many but none of them like uniquely came to mind but one thing that i was thinking about is that um, Righteous Gemstones came back, you know, last Sunday, which uh, I know it films in the South. It, it lay a lot of land people work on it. Um, it's a favorite show of mine. And one thing I've been thinking about, like preparing for this podcast is like, if I hadn't been around the church, I wouldn't have gotten a lot of these like very American sort of things that you understand and relate to like veggie tales or vacation Bible school or like the footprints poem or like Jesus carried you and stuff. It's like so many gags in so many movies and tv shows like use protestantism as like a baseline cultural understanding and i just think like i wouldn't get any of that humor if i hadn't had this experience or like how stupid and funny like duck dynasty or like blue collar comedy tour was because so much of it is baked into like church stuff so not exactly a, a joke per se but like a set of references and cultural frameworks that I would have no clue had I not done this, you know? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, I'm just going to give you a straight joke. Your, yours is much more eloquent. But uh, the, the first one that came to mind for me, I love like dumb jokes. I was born to be a dad uh, just for the jokes. Um, but I always remember my counselor telling me the joke of uh, two cannibals are sitting eating a clown and one turns to the other and says, this tastes funny to you. <laughs> Which is That's a good one. <laughs> a really dumb joke, but just hit me in the right place uh, when I was like nine years old or however old I was when, when I heard that one. Um, all right. Uh, well, we will uh, wrap things up with uh, our favorite segment, Roses and Thorns, a.k.a. Coles and Diamonds, a.k.a. Strawberries and Lemons, a.k.a. Pals and Wows, a.k.a. Peaks and Valleys. Uh, this is a chance to share one good thing and one bad thing going on in your life, uh, macro or micro. Um, but uh, as our guest, Brendan, I'll allow you to go first. What's, uh, what are your rose and your thorn? I'll start with the rose. Um, my wife and I finished our short film. It's called Dollar Generals, and we are submitting to film festivals, and we've been accepted to two so far. So the uh, Chicago Irish Film Festival would be going to, and the Love and Hope Film Festival in Barcelona, Spain will be going to. If, oh, there you assuming go. COVID allows it. Yeah, sure. we're really hoping that I mean, no knock on Chicago Irish Festival, but, you know, Barcelona. 
Um, and so the trailer is up online for that, but we'll be releasing the film once we can because you can't really show it publicly so you're in all the festivals. But, you know, this is the season where we start to hear about what we're getting into. So that's been, you know, a way to kind of look forward to things each week when, you know, the world is kind of shut down. And, you know, thorns, I, I, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to just say COVID because, you know, like we, we are living through it. But, you know, it's... Um, out here in Hollywood, it's been a long couple years because uh, A, of course, there's less work, which whatever, you know, that's peaks and valleys. But also I just miss the so much of being out here is like rubbing elbows, you know, and uh, one of the really tough things was uh, we have pretty restrictive, you know, setup out here and people are very careful, which I think is great. Uh, but, you know, I had to do a hang at an outdoor bar for the first time, you know, we'd been back inside and then a couple of the guys are dads and they were like, I don't want to get Omicron. I totally get it. And I was like, man, I mean, we're back outside again. So that felt like a little bit of a setback, but I'm trying to keep the perspective that, you know, this two shell pass are almost done. But I would say my thorn is I want to sit inside the bar. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I can relate to that. I, I, I would say, you know, I'll echo that a little bit. My, my thorn is definitely, the the resurgence um you know i think uh, i have i have two children and for a lot of the last year as we're recording this in early january 2022 for a lot of the last year it was like just hang on until there's a vaccine for the kids and then once we get the kids vaccinated like we'll be able to take a breath and so we did that and we started to breathe and then this thing comes back around and over winter break we were supposed to get together with our family and then one of them got COVID. So we had to postpone that. And so it just kind of felt like, uh, you know, PTSD from the, from the very beginning of like all plans being canceled and then the weather was bad. So we were just like in our house for most of winter break. And, you know, we made the best of it. Uh, if I'll, I'll segue into my rose, which is, uh, we bought uh, Settlers of Catan, the board game, and I'd always heard about it. I'd heard people talk about it, uh, and it never, never got it. And we went uh, to buy Christmas presents for this uh, for this organization. And while we were at uh, Target, I saw it. And I was like, you know what? Treat treat yourself. We're gonna we're gonna get Catan today. And that's like, what did you do over over winter break this year? We played Catan. We played it all the time and it was really fun uh and it's i explained it to people it's like a combination of monopoly and craps <laughs> and my kids like watching them get so excited with every role they're like yes wood <laughs> so uh, i think it's the best like long-term board game like if you're going to be sitting down to play a monopoly or risk or something in that realm i think Catan is the winner I, I went through a phase myself a few years back and then i bought all the expansions and then never opened any of the expansions not for lack of interest but i'm like you go through this phase you're like i'm playing this like every two weeks man i i better get all the expansions and then two months later you moved on to something else you know but you'll return to it especially with kids i i think it's a great great game to play with the family yeah so that's that's gonna be my memory of omicron is uh, sitting in our house for hours on end and playing Catan. So at least, you know, something good came of it. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, that is our show. Uh, you can always subscribe 
to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, any other podcast listening tool you can find. If you want to follow us on social media, we are Who Knows One on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Who Knows One Show on Instagram. Of course, you can catch new episodes of Who Knows One every Wednesday night at 8.30 Eastern on the Who Knows One Facebook page. Uh, Brendan, this was so much fun. If people want to find you online, uh, we'll link uh, to the trailer certainly in the uh, in the show notes. But where can people find your uh, your stuff on the internet? Uh, I'm at Brendan Gallagher on Twitter, and I believe I'm at Brendan M Gallagher on Instagram. But I'm on Twitter a, a lot more, and I would love to connect with anybody on there. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, Dollar Generals, our film, is going to be doing the festival circuit, and I believe uh, the show I write on Netflix uh, called Warrior Nun, where I'm on staff, should be coming back uh, this summer. So look out for that as well. And anything else I get into uh, from posting Goodreads reviews to talking shit or whatever, you can find me on Twitter. But Insta is great as well. And uh, yeah, just please follow me. I'd love to hear from everybody. Yeah. And and honestly, read Brendan's uh, rankings of the 15 fictional summer camps. It's a, it was a really good read. Whether you Thank agree you. or disagree with uh, the rankings. Um, <laughs> They're all good camps. All camps, all <laughs> fictional camps are great. Um, and, and just out of curiosity, whatever you're allowed to share, can you give me a little bit of a, the gist of what Dollar Generals is about? Yes, I can. I would love to. So our short film, Dollar Generals, uh, is making the rounds right now in festivals. And the idea came about, we were driving across the country, my wife and I, and we noticed there's so many more dollar stores than when we were kids. And then a while later, we saw an article about how dollar stores are A, really prevalent, and B, now the most robbed stores in America, because you can't really rob a bank anymore. And Walmart's are really tough to rob or get any money from as well. So there's sort of an epidemic of this. And so the premise is a woman gets out of jail, her and her boyfriend get a job at like equivalent to a dollar general, but they set it up. So they're going to skim money off of all the robberies that happen there and make it appealing to robbers. And then to make some more money, they get the idea to try to collect the bounty on one of the robbers of the store. And then things go south from there. So uh, kind of a crime action little comedy inspired by kind of raising arizona thelma and louise those kind of things you know we shot it in the desert over here in california so really proud of it and uh, really excited to see it do the festival rounds so that's going to be hopefully we'll release online this summer but we're going to be premiering sometime in the spring at, at uh, some film festivals very cool well uh, i will uh, definitely keep tabs on that uh, it sounds it sounds very interesting um if you want to hear more from me uh, i'm on twitter at micah hearts um and uh yeah this was a lot of fun brendan i appreciate uh you coming on the show and as we wrap things up uh i always like to close with something that my dad used to say that uh about summer camp that time is precious and you really uh, got to make the most of it so i always finish by saying don't waste a minute brendan and you can say back to me don't waste a minute micah you nailed it <laughs> Happiness runs in a circular motion Thought is like a little boat upon the sea Everybody is a part of everything anyway You can have everything if you let yourself be Happiness runs, happiness runs Happiness runs, happiness runs Happiness runs, happiness runs
Happiness runs in a circular motion. Thought is like a little boat upon the sea. Everybody is a part of everything anyway. You can have everything if you let yourself be. Happiness runs, happiness runs. Happiness runs, happiness runs. Happiness runs, happiness runs.